You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin tonight with a rare inside look at how gangs reel in their youngest recruits. In the halls of high school, the scouts making offers to impressionable teenagers are often their fellow classmates. In this Global News exclusive, Darian Matassa-Fung speaks to a former Surrey High School drug dealer who recently had a change of heart. Don't make it seem cool. You've got all these big guys guarding you. Nobody's going to mess with you. In a world where peer pressure and the need for acceptance is the perfect recipe for gang recruitment. This is a shocking first-hand account of how students become foot soldiers in BC's ongoing gang war. They'll force you to take your first hit of a vape at first, and then you slowly start getting affiliated with the gang. And like I said, once you're in, you can't get out. We'll refer to him as Steve. His identity is being protected over fears of gang retribution. This young student in Surrey sold drugs in high school just five months ago. He says the master class in teen manipulation starts with a seemingly friendly offer of free vapes and e-cigarettes by high school seniors living double lives as drug dealers. As soon as you start getting really addicted and, you, and you're like, okay, I need one after the other, one after the other, they'll start making you pay for it. And if you don't have the money to pay for it, they'll make you do stuff for them. The older teens will then give the now nicotine addicted youth tasks to carry out, finding new customers, actively recruiting other kids, even drug running. Every job, another hook in a teen hoping to live the high life in reality. Just another way to hold them to a criminal life that will soon feel like hell. Then they'll show you all these like money photos, all these guns and stuff and make it seem really cool. So you get manipulated by that. You get brainwashed and you're like, oh, this stuff is really cool. This is easy money, right? It's easy fame, everyone's scared of you. Steve says there's two types of kids that make the easiest targets the wannabe tough guys, or the relentlessly bullied. Once the connection is made, the recruiters start letting them deeper into the group, revealing which gang they work for, and more importantly, who are their rivals. He says this is happening in every major high school in Surrey, with influence from gangs like the Brothers Keepers and Bebo, blood in, blood out. One guy is working for his cousins with their BK. One guy's working for their, his Bebo cousins and, and they'll like beef it with each other. Turf wars and street beef are directly leading to brazen violence in the public. Holy there's gunshots. The conflict also playing out in BC schools. There's knives at school, drugs, mace cans, CO2 airsoft guns, real guns. For Steve, it was seeing his path of destruction as a dangerously hardened drug dealer that made him question how it happened and if there was a way out. You don't understand that I'm hurting people, I'm hurting their parents, I'm destroying lives by selling drugs, and I'm doing all this, but at one point I was manipulated. It was a last-ditch effort by desperate parents that forced Steve into a youth anti-gang program after an arrest. He says at first he wrote it off. What happened next, he never expected. It feels like all the bad I did that I've done, it feels like I can like make up for all of that when I'm doing this, right? And seeing all these little kids laugh, it, like I'm making, I'm putting smiles on their faces. Unfortunately, Steve's story is not an uncommon one. 
According to BC's leading anti-gang police task force, they deal with dozens of cases just like Steve's every year through their intervention program. We're talking as young as 12, 13, 14 years old, and I've even had teachers call me uh, about a, a kid as young as 10 years old selling cocaine at an elementary school. They say Steve's is a success story that is sadly the exception to the rule. Many times when we talk to them or, or we talk to their parents after they've been killed, we often get a lot of denial. But when you connect the dots for them, they realize that what they've been doing is on behalf of a, a, a group that's a household name. Steve knows the lures back to his old life are always lurking just beneath the surface, but speaking out is an important step forward to leaving a life of drugs, gangs, and violence behind. I know that I'm doing something right, but it's not easy for everyone, so it's really hard. You gotta fight like for yourself. Darian Matasafung, Global News. Well, more to come on BC's gang, gang conflict tomorrow, which major, which major gangs are operating in BC and what the conflict looks like in 2023. Plus, the role young people are playing in the brazen shootings. Enhanced coverage on the story can be found online at globalnews.ca slash BC. Now to the wildfire situation in BC. And while the arrival of some slightly cooler, wetter weather is welcome, it's not expected to provide much relief for frontline crews. As Aaron MacArthur reports, the lightning that accompanied this change in the weather is being blamed for dozens of new fires. Another day, another aerial assault. BC wildfire crews attacking one of several new fires burning near Nelson. Helicopters bucketing hotspots near Kokanee Creek Provincial Park. A significant lightning storm has moved through the Kootenays. 4,800 lightning strikes recorded since Saturday. Seven fires are now burning within 12 kilometers of Nelson. Five sparked Monday night. The West Kokanee Creek fire now estimated to be 50 hectares. There's currently no structures or infrastructure threatened at this time as a result of these new incidents. The weather around BC has been cooler with scattered precipitation, but the system came charged with electricity and several new fires are burning around the province. There are now 418 active fires burning, 16 considered fires of note, 35 new fires have been started in the past 24 hours. Going back to April, there have been 1,731 fires in total, which have destroyed more than 15,000 square kilometers. The fire burning near Princeton that started Sunday night has remained stable, smoldering in the underbrush, not growing past 16 hectares. Pretty slow moving at this point uh, so far, and crews have been successful at keeping it at that just under 16 hectare mark so far. The fires burning on either side of Adams Lake also have remained relatively stable. Evacuation orders and alerts have not been lifted. Crews using a cooler day to try to gain the upper hand. We're not expecting a great deal of rainfall in and around the, the fire ground. Unfortunately, Kamloops is not uh, not uh, not being forecast to get quite that level of rain. But, uh, but certainly the lightning risk remains real. Conditions won't stay benign for long. Much of the province could see temperatures well above 30 by the weekend. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with more on the rain. How much we're getting and where, Christy? 
Well, Sophie, the system has been impacting parts of the province already through the day today. It didn't come with very many lightning strikes, which is great news. Higher humidities, cooler temperatures, and of course, the rainfall. Here's a look at the areas that saw the majority of it today. It was the central coast and northern parts of Vancouver Island, as well as areas west of Prince George, up to seven millimeters in that area. But central parts of the province and southern areas, very little, as you can see. Now, we'll continue to see the impact of this system through to the end of the day tomorrow. We are going to see the bulk of it along the south coast. You can see the areas in blue. And then areas just north of Kamloops could see anywhere from 5 to 15 millimeters. There is potential for some isolated amounts up to about 20 in those areas as well. But Sophie, behind this, it's really just one day of rainfall and we're back to heat, as Aaron had mentioned. So when I come back, we'll describe how long we're expecting that heat and dry spell to last. Back to you. All right, thanks, Christy. Vancouver police have identified the victim of last week's homicide on Granville Street as 32-year-old Jose Kays. Online, friends of Kays have posted this photo describing him as a devoted husband and loving father to five young children. Police have not been able to verify the photo. Officers say the Surrey resident was stabbed near Granville and Smythe Streets just before 3.30 a.m. last Friday. He was taken to hospital but died of his injuries. No arrests have been made. Police are asking for anyone with information or dash cam footage to come forward. And police in Prince George are asking for the public's help to identify the suspect in a sexual assault. The incident happened in the early hours of Sunday, July 2nd. A woman told police she had been sexually assaulted by a stranger near the 400 block of George Street. He's being described as around 35 years old, between 5 foot 9 and 6 feet tall. He has a slim build with hair in tight braids with dyed blonde tips. He has two earrings in his left ear and was wearing a red polka dot shirt at the time of the assault. Anyone with information is asked to call Prince George RCMP. Central Saanich Police interrupted a second attempt to vandalize a rainbow crosswalk. It happened at the crosswalk outside Bayside School on Wallace Drive. Police got the call at around 11 last night, and when they arrived, the suspect ran off into the dark, but the would-be vandal left behind a can of paint, and police are hoping that will help identify the suspect. Any witnesses or anyone with dashcam footage is asked to contact police. Ottawa is simplifying the process to bring temporary foreign workers to Canada. Federal officials in Delta announcing new measures to cut red tape. It's an effort to alleviate the acute labour across the country. But some say it doesn't go far enough. Janet Brown reports. It is a three-year pilot program aimed at addressing labour shortages for employers who hire migrant workers and ensuring those workers are safe from abuse. We are launching the recognized employer pilot to provide eligible Canadian employers with more streamlined access to labour while making sure they uphold the highest standards in worker protections. Up until now, before submitting an application to hire a migrant worker, employers would need a labour market impact assessment confirming there is a need for such workers and there are no Canadians or permanent residents available. It ensures employers can hire talent that they need to grow and succeed all while ensuring that temporary foreign workers are protected while they do their jobs. What I have been found is bad companies, 
worst company and terrible worst company. I have been involved in this issue for 70 years. However, a temporary foreign worker advocate says in all his decades, workers have suffered with poor living and working conditions, excessive hours with no breaks and being underpaid. All those things that has been already regulated under the Canadian laws, but the employee doesn't respect that. The federal minister says the temporary foreign worker program has resulted in 2,100 inspections between April of last year to March of this year, 117 found to be in non-compliance, 94 fined, 23 warnings issued, and six banned for five years. The BC Restaurant and Food Services Association says there are still some changes needed at the provincial level. Our process is about two to three months longer to get a worker than Alberta. And, and that's not acceptable because we're competing for labor on an international scale. The pilot project begins to roll out in September. Janet Brown, Global News. Well, the federal government announcing today new efforts to achieve a clean, affordable and reliable electricity grid by 2035. Our Keith Baldry joins us with more. Keith, uh, of course, the end goal here is to be net zero by 2050 right across the country. Yeah, some pretty ambitious targets. We're talking energy, so I thought I'd come out to a very busy place. This is Victoria's Inner Harbor. Uh, hundreds of tourists out here tonight. They all got here either by float plane, by ferry, by cruise ship. Everyone's using energy here, driving cars, heating their homes. Today, the federal government making it clear all the energy use in the future is going to have to be electric, not fossil fuel. Here's some of the numbers we're talking about outlined by Energy Minister uh, Jonathan Wilkinson today as part of the electronic vision document that was released by the feds today, moving to 100% clean energy grid by the year 2035. That's just 12 years away. Everything has to be electric, uh, resulting in net zero greenhouse gas emissions by the year 2050. Households would save a lot of money here, about $1,200 a year. That's 12% less on total energy costs. And solar and wind projects and other renewables are expected to lead the way. Wilkinson not sugarcoating things, folks. He says this is a mammoth task, basically doubling the size of the non-carbonated grid over a very short period of time. Seizing the economic opportunities is just as important as the emissions reductions that are required. But what that will demand is not just decarbonization of the electricity system we have today, it will require a system that is double or more the size of what we have now. So it's going to have a different impact on different provinces. BC's already away, way ahead of the curve. Ottawa announcing a $40 billion tax incentive plan for getting provinces on board here to really incentivize getting those winds, wind farms, solar farms, and other renewable projects up and running in a short period of time. The good news is BC's ahead of most of the country. We've got about 90% of the way there, largely because of our hydroelectric dam system, and also BC Hydro putting out a call next year for more solar and wind projects to come online. So could be a fight between Ottawa and some of the other provinces, notably Alberta and Saskatchewan, are way behind the curve when it comes to fighting fossil mm -hmm. fuel use and being less reliant on coal and more reliant on renewable energy. So a big fight shaping up between the feds mm -hmm. and some of the provinces. All right, Keith, nice to see you enjoying the great outdoors. <laughs> Thank right. you. Well, people in Nanaimo are sounding the alarm about what they call inadequate cardiac care. They want the province to provide the fast-growing city with better facilities to diagnose and care for those with cardiac challenges. Richard Zussman now with what they say is missing. It's a lab that could be the difference between life and death. 
We have the largest population we know of in Canada without timely access to a cardiac cath lab. And what does that mean? Access to a cath lab is a standard of care. A cath lab, or more technically known as a heart catheterization lab, helps doctors diagnose and treat a wide range of cardiac disorders. Currently, the facility doesn't exist in Nanaimo or anywhere further north on Vancouver Island. And that's why this group of doctors and health advocates are sounding the sirens. The facts, they aren't pretty. And we need to get the attention of those responsible for not providing that infrastructure. The estimated cost for a cath lab trailer would be about $150 million. Health Minister Adrian Dix was in Nanaimo back in June to announce plans for the ICU, but nothing on heart health care specifically. This is a great opportunity to correct historical inequities of the past and bring the current standard of care to Central North Island. The closest cath lab to Nanaimo by car is here the Royal Jubilee Hospital in Victoria. And while the South Island has 22 working cardiologists, Nanaimo only has two. We're rather like the third world country on the other side of the Malahat here. We are not receiving the kind of world-class, first-class care that you get in the city of Victoria. The long distance to a lab means patients are given blood thinners and clot busters rather than medical intervention. Given the region's growing and aging population, it is simply a reality that cardiac care needs are increasing drastically. Nanaimo is one of the fastest growing cities in the province, and the population is nearly half a million people from the city up north on the island. Surrey also needs a cath lab, a problem the government has already promised to fix. There's a need for a cath lab in Surrey. I can assure you there's a much greater need for a cath lab in the city of Nanaimo. A need the people of Central and North Island feel is as large as a heart just trying to beat. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. An iconic Vancouver mall could be going up for sale. So it would be a big loss if it was gone. Why the owners are considering offloading the property and how loyal shoppers say this is much more than just a mall. Next on the News Hour. Still to come tonight, caught on video, a burglar crashes through the roof of a Kelowna car dealership. What was stolen and what the business owner finds especially frustrating. That's later. Plus. So hopefully someone's been looking for something like this but didn't know where to find it. A rare opportunity for aviation buffs. The story behind several historical planes soon to hit the auction block. Right now, though, there are few malls in Vancouver that inspire the sense of loyalty and nostalgia like Kingsgate Mall in East Vancouver. But the future of the shopping centre at Broadway and Kingsway is up in the air. The Vancouver School Board owns that property and is in court with the Beattie Group, which leases the mall. As Kristen Robinson reports, that has shoppers rattled. It's a two-story blast from the past in an area only growing up. You know, it's still a place where I can find, like, good prices and it, everything's in one spot. It had what exactly what I needed. It kind of has everything you need. From food to flowers. We are very friendly. We treat, look like a family. Back to basics, Kingsgate Mall, legendary with locals on the Broadway corridor. A Twitter account boasts over 30 shops and services. Wow. You got me drowning in. Drowning in these. Pop stars Tegan and Sarah even joined the Arkells to shoot a music video in the much-loved Mount Pleasant retail space. It's just vibrant. 
there's everything you need and this mall is like the perfect center. Especially compared to the newer buildings around it, it feels nice, kind of nostalgic the way it is. The Vancouver School Board owns the mall property, which was recently assessed at close to $250 million. It's currently leased by Kingsgate Property Limited, a subsidiary of the Beattie Group. The VSB and Beattie are engaged in a legal dispute over rent, and court documents reveal the VSB is considering the mall's possible sale. Regardless, this property is going to be redeveloped, even though it is so truly beloved by the community. You just have to look next door at this large development and expect something even bigger. I think it's a bad idea to not have the mall here. This is what builds communities. I would hate to see the mall itself go. I hope they don't close it. <laughs> I think that would suck a lot, yeah, because it's kind of a staple of the community. The Vancouver School District says any changes to the future use of the mall would have to be approved by the board and follow a rigorous process. At this point, no decision has been made. I, I would be upset. <laughs> For now, Kingsgate Mall's pinned 2016 tweet, still not a condo, stands. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Up next, raccoon warning. Every time I grabbed one off of me, another one would attack my dog. How dog walks have taken a dangerous turn on a Kitsilano street. Plus, nobody wants to hit a whale. Coastal collisions, why researchers fear a spike in whale strikes is coming to BC waters. Traffic is steady in both directions over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge this evening with just a bit of leftover volume on the east-west connector. Kermat Collision and Autoglass newest location is in Vancouver on Southwest Marine Drive, conveniently located between Camby and Oak. Kermac, the most trusted name in collision repair for 50 years. Trishy was in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Residents of a Kitsilano neighborhood say something needs to be done after two vicious raccoon attacks on the same street on the same day. They suspect someone in the neighborhood is feeding the animals. And as Grace Key reports, they want the city to step in. A warning, some of the details in this story are disturbing. We heard a sound in the bush and I looked over and I saw two large raccoons crouching right there, staring right at my dog. Jake Moss was walking his dog Pingu 1.30 Friday morning near First Avenue in Arbutus in Kitsilano when suddenly two raccoons attacked them. Every time one would grab them, I would pick him up and throw him. I would kick them and... It was just a tag team, and then a third raccoon joined in. Pingu lost an eye in the attack, and Jake was given antibiotics and a tetanus shot for his injuries. A neighbour came out to help when he heard the commotion. I can't believe it. I cannot believe it's happening again on the same day in the same area with the same raccoons. This is the first time I've seen Mark's. <laughs> Five hours earlier, neighbor Mark Harrison helped Emma Yendel when raccoons attacked her and her friend at the same spot when they were out with their dogs. Mark came along and batted away the raccoon and yelled at it, and there were other people yelling and screaming, and the raccoon just went into the bushes but 
kept trying to come back. It was relentless. Mark posted warning signs. Neighbors say a nearby resident is feeding wild animals and took the signs down. The city is investigating under the new wildlife feeding bylaw. Raccoons fall under the Provincial Wildlife Act. Conservation officers typically respond to conflicts with dangerous wildlife where there is a risk to public safety. We spoke with, you know, the city of Vancouver, Environment Canada, Fish and Wildlife. We had a conservation officer call us back and everybody is you know, ranging from nice to dismissive, but not helpful. One expert says attacks like these are rare, but would typically happen this time of year. Uh, I wouldn't be so sure it's even related to feeding as much as uh, people with dogs that to get too close to bushes where raccoons are hiding out. They may have uh, offspring in, in the bushes, so babies may be in there. Residents want to warn others about the raccoons and the dangers of feeding them as they try to navigate how best to solve the issue. We should be able to walk down our streets without fear of a wild animal attacking us. Grace Key, Global News. Investigations are underway into three separate whale strikes in northern BC waters over just a 10-day period last month. Researchers say the incidents demonstrate the risk shipping poses to the marine mammals. And as Krista Dow reports, they're calling for a change in who gets notified of these collisions. The technique is remarkable. It's called bubble net feeding a coordinated approach by humpback whales to catch their next supper. It's one of many spectacular sites along BC's north coast now at risk. Last month, three humpback whales were hit by large vessels. The strikes all happened within 10 days along northern shipping routes near Prince Rupert and Kitimat. It's not known if the whales survived. It is completely unacceptable to think that this is collateral damage. The Department of Fisheries and Oceans says it is investigating. Researchers are calling for more transparency from the DFO and say lessons could be learned. For First Nations, that when there are incidents in their areas, that that be relayed, and for the researchers in those areas too. It was really tough because we could have been on the water immediately. We could have been right with those whales. We've been following these whales for 20 years. In a report, Keen predicts two to three humpback strikes a year, but says by 2030, there could be 18 to 20 deaths a year. As marine traffic ramps up along the Kitkat Territory and mega-project LNG Canada becomes fully operational by 2030. The traffic from LNG Canada alone will uh, multiply the amount of large ship traffic and large ships that move fast are really the big concern for these whales. We'd see these populations begin to decline. LNG Canada says it follows safety guidelines for large vessels and has made investments in marine safety. What do we want here? Do we want large-scale LNG or do we want a thriving and recovering whale community? A species that's only recently come back from the brink of extinction and one they're fighting to keep alive. Krista Dow, Global News. An unusual break-in caught on camera in Kelowna. I didn't even know that was possible, to be honest. The dramatic entry this burglar made at a car dealership and his lengthy crime spree. Plus, we're learning what prompted a police standoff and the evacuation of an entire condo building in Kelowna. Details next.
Counterflow is out over here at the Counterflow is out over here at the Massey Tunnel. Traffic is moving well in both directions. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert care for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. Kermac is celebrating 50 years of collision and auto glass services. Choose the best. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. An investigation is underway into an incident in Kelowna Monday afternoon that forced the evacuation of an entire condo building. You are under arrest. The RCMP's emergency response team was called out to the Bridgewater Estates building on Gordon Drive in the city's lower mission area. Police say it all started with reports of two men with weapons chasing each other around the neighborhood. Police immediately arrived on scene. We located a female who said that she was a victim of an assault. Uh, with this information, we were able to locate the two males that were in an apartment. And during the interaction with police, there was mention that there was possibly explosive devices, which raised our concerns. After a thorough search of the apartment, no explosive device was found. Two men were taken into custody. Police are still investigating and considering a number of charges. Now an unusual break in to show you, not because of what was stolen, but how the thief got into the Kelowna business. As Claudia Van Emmerich reports, the culprit made a dramatic entry, all caught on security camera. So this is where he came through. It is a shocking break and entry point. I, I didn't even know that was possible, to be honest. But it's how a thief broke into the Patton Motocross used car dealership in Kelowna early Sunday morning through the roof, and it was all caught on surveillance video. Yeah, so see his foot there? Now watch him come crashing. Somehow the man managed to get on the building's roof, get inside it, and pop off the ceiling's panel. Just this big square hole that's just covered by, um, you know, uh, like sheet metal. And so I think maybe in a big air conditioning unit or something was there in the past. Even RCMP surprised at how the business was broken into. That's the first one I've seen in a while. And uh, surprising how that he didn't injure himself with that fall. According to surveillance footage, the suspect was in and out of the business for hours, stealing three vehicles, all which have since been recovered, along with many other items. Car scanners. Um, kind of battery packs that boost vehicles, uh, DeWalt drills in his backpack when the police caught him. He had all sets of 50 keys for all our vehicles in there as well. The suspect first came into the dealership on Saturday, immediately raising suspicion as he was more interested in scoping out the showroom and property than the cars that are here for sale. Police did end up arresting the suspect on site, a man they describe as a repeat offender. He has a pretty extensive police record, uh, on, but he's new to the Kelowna area. So we haven't dealt with him that, that I'm aware of, but he has um, police uh, interactions in the lower mainland and other, other provinces. Patton frustrated, saying this is the fifth time he's had to file an insurance claim for some kind of an offense or theft at his business. We're taxpayers. We're paying thousands of dollars a month on insurance. We're, paying, we're doing our due diligence to try and run a small business, and it seems like it's almost not even worth it. He's beefing up security to prevent another break-in before he gets to his breaking point. You, you know, I was born and raised in Kelowna. My kids are growing up here. Um, I, I want to stay here, but at the end of the day, it's kind of like, is this worth it? Claudia Van Emmer, Global News, Kelowna.
The U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention says there's a new COVID-19 variant having an impact on the United States. The EG5 variant now makes up the largest proportion of new COVID infections across America. Cases of the virus are on the rise in the U.S. for the first time in months. As of last week, this new variant accounted for 17.3% of cases, more than any other variant. EG5 has been detected in Canada and experts say the number of cases will grow. It's a descendant of the XBB strain, which is still causing most of the recent cases here in Canada. Still to come, how's this for a cheap flight? $25 you can buy, I think it's a 727. Auctioning off some aviation history later. And still to come in sports, how the Lions bombed in Winnipeg and how they're recovering. All right, meteorologist Christy Gordon back with a look at our weather forecast. And you were talking about more heat on the way, Christy. Yes, yeah, so beyond this system that we're going to see over the next 24 hours, it looks like we're back to a ridge of high pressure. So more on that in a second. But here's a look at the system we saw today and will continue to be impacted by it overnight. Thankfully, not coming with very many lightning strikes. We saw lower uh, humidities, uh, sorry, higher humidities, lower temperatures, and certainly some rainfall. So the bulk of it across Vancouver Island as at this time and across uh, the Caribou region as well, uh, we are going to continue to see that band shift across the south coast and the caribou region overnight. So the bulk of the moisture overnight through the morning hours tomorrow. This is stopping at 9 a.m. and you can see it across Metro Vancouver still. And then the majority of it east of Prince George and Williams Lake before it shifts off into Alberta in the afternoon. Now tomorrow afternoon we still have spotty conditions in the forecast with pockets of rain, but that's when it comes with lightning strikes. We're going to see gusty winds as well in and around those thunderstorms. So caribou central interior uh, right down in the top in uh, Columbia and the Kootenai region. Far less uh, uh, um, thunderstorms possible across uh, the south coast area. We'll see drier conditions. But as Sophie mentioned, this is the ridge of high pressure we're expecting to develop, and it could last even longer beyond Sunday. But at this point, it looks like at the very least into Sunday, we're going to see dry, hot, dry weather once again, where areas in the interior could be in the 30s and even along the south coast away from the water, we're talking about 30-degree weather. So in terms of the rainfall, again, the bulk of it overnight to Tomorrow morning, we'll see drier conditions in the afternoon, but spotty rainfall with that risk of thunderstorms is certainly possible. 22 degrees, slight chance of a shower on Thursday, but overall dry conditions and heat on the way as we head into the weekend. Tonight's central windows weather window is so cute. Oh no, my weather window went above the little cubs there. Maybe later in the show, I'll show it to you without that. But Sophie, oh. that's a Kermode <laughs> bear, as you can see, and her cubs yeah. are right, right behind yeah, the central right. windows weather window. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Okay. Sorry, I forgot that. Well, we've got to keep the sponsors go happy, don't we? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I guess come so. Come on. <laughs> okay, you can show it to us later. Sorry, everyone. All right, okay. uh, Squire, what yes. do you have for us? Well, um, BC Lions defensive coach Ryan Phillips says that allowing 50 points against Winnipeg last week was unexpected, but everybody has a bad day, and in this case, it was a really bad day. Anybody that's been around this game this long, as far as in the CFL, you have a day where sometimes it pours, and it didn't just rain, it poured that day. Yeah, basically everything went wrong for the BC defense, but they still feel they are one of the best in the CFL. Also tonight, 
aircraft on the auction block and how you could own a piece of aviation history. Oh, are you asking if we're too close? I'm asking, am I in the right position? Oh, oh, what I see. What did you think I was asking? I thought you were asking if we're close to airtime. Oh, no, I know we were. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't think we're I've too done this close. job before, so I knew that part. You're vaccinated, I'm vaccinated. I, well, yes, and I'm, I'm feeling fine, 100%. Me too. Okay, good. Good, got go that ahead out of then. The way. Oh, oh, I just wrecked something, sorry. Um, I'll pay for don't that. Don't break the equipment. <laughs> I'll pay for it, don't worry. Uh, one thing about the BC Lions this year, their games do get your attention because when they win, they look great. They are 6-2. and two. They've had two shutouts this year over Edmonton. But when they lose, it also gets your attention because when they lose, they really lose. It's not a close game. They get wiped out like Imperial Stormtroopers do. Against Winnipeg last week, they got beat 50-14, to 14, a game that took a big chunk out of the swagger of the Lions' defense. It's a, it's a slap in the face. I mean, when you lose, it's a reality check. I mean, football is, has great life lessons in it, and uh, especially us losing like that. Uh, when you think about it, we probably gave up like 94 points the whole season and to give up 50 in one game, you know. Uh, it sucks. What a pass from Polaris! His third touchdown of the game! Understandably, it's a loss that isn't sitting well with the BC Lions, nor should it. Not when you get lit up the way the Bombers unloaded on BC, featuring an all-out aerial attack of 447 passing yards and a demoralizing 576 total yards net offense. Um, I think it was more so explosive plays. We couldn't stop them. They were ready to go, you know, from the jump. Uh, they, they schemed us pretty well, I would say, and um, they just executed better. And uh, I think they, they had something to improve. Unfortunately, we didn't match that level of intensity and that level of play, and they, they got it. So we'll take our L and we'll move on. We'll see them soon, though. We'll see them again. That rematch against the Bombers won't come until October, but you can bet it's already circled on the Lions' calendar. BC's defense is just too good to be allowing the number of big plays that Winnipeg executed against them. Four passes stretched 30 yards or more, while the Bombers' ground game had four carries of 11 yards or more. It was a serious detonation of what had previously been a near unpenetrable Lions defense. Uh, sometimes you do got to hit a reset. I don't think it takes almost 400 yards to be able to do so. But at the end of the day, sometimes you have these bumps in the road. And anybody that's been around this game this long, as far as in the CFL, you have a day where sometimes it pours. And it didn't just rain, it poured that day. So, you know, hopefully everybody brung their umbrella this week and we can go ahead and be good and stay dry and go ahead and uh, take it to Calgary this week. So after two years of dealing with long COVID, former Canuck Brandon Sutter is apparently going to get a tryout with the Edmonton Oilers. He's 34, but he's been working out. I'm guessing he's obviously feeling better than he was back in the summer of 2021 when he was having trouble breathing when he was working out and he had to stop playing for the Vancouver Canucks. Now, if you add up all the teams in the NHL, the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, and Major League Soccer, there are 152. And today, Sportico, which is a sports business website, put a value on each of those teams, and that includes the Canucks and the Whitecaps. They didn't do the CFL. So if you're mad at the Aquilinis and you want to offer the money to buy the Vancouver Canucks and become the owner, 
The Canucks are valued right now at $1 billion. So you'll need to win about 20 lotto maxes for that. The Whitecaps are one of the least valuable teams in North America at $415 million. That's 150th out of 152. However, think about it this way. The Whitecaps were a $40 million expansion purchase in 2009. So the value of that team has gone up a ton in less than 15 years. Four years ago, they were valued at $215 million. So they're up $200 million in four years, almost double the worth. Uh, top five in North America this year, Dallas Cowboys number one. All the NFL teams are worth a lot, $9.2 billion. A little surprised the Warriors are the top NBA team over the Lakers, but there you see the rest of the top five. And if you're thinking about Canadian-based teams, well, the most valued team in Canada is actually the Toronto Raptors. Then the Maple Leafs, who are number one in hockey, then the Blue Jays, then the Habs, then the Oilers, because I guess they have McDavid, and then the Canucks at $1 billion. Women's World Cup soccer today, round of 16, Morocco, France, winner to take on Australia, and France was scoring early and scoring often. That's Diani with the first goal to make it 1-0 in the 15th minute. Uh, Eugenie Lasomer had two goals for France. This is the first of the two, and it was 3-0 in the 23rd minute, and France went on to win it by the score of 4 to nothing. Uh, Colombia beat Jamaica, so they continue on at the quarterfinals. There is... Or there are the matchups for the quarterfinals. Japan is the only team of that group that's actually won the Women's World Cup in the past. And we should mention Canadian Open Tennis, National Bank Open. Uh, Leila Fernandez won today. Bianca Andreescu did not. Okay. Felix Ogier-Aliassim lost. But Gabriel Diallo, one of the young up-and-coming Canadians, was a winner on the men's side. There you go. Excellent. Well done, Squire. Thank you. You're quite you. welcome. Want to buy a plane? Mm, I don't know. Up I don't next. Like to fly. How that might actually be possible. You don't, you don't, these don't fly. Oh, do they? You gotta just drive on the road? Yeah. Oh, get it. Jordan Armstrong here now with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jordan? targeting college and university students as they prepare to head back to class. The Better Business Bureau is out with a warning. One of the scams involves a phishing email pretending to be from a school's financial department. We'll have details on that, plus another common scam making the rounds at 11. Also tonight, a B.C. man who, by his own admission, is not exactly a prime athlete, is on the verge of completing a bike ride across Canada. What it's taught him about himself and society at 11. Sophie. Ooh, intriguing. All right. Thanks, Jordan. Well, if you're in the market for a plane, then do I have the auction for you. The University of the Fraser Valley is selling off some of its aviation stock, hoping it will help someone else's passion take flight. Kylie Stanton explains. When it comes to decluttering, the biggest items can often be the hardest to part with. Inside is about 1,400 square feet. And this might be as big as it gets. This is not the first airplane I've sold, but these are definitely the most, most historic airplanes I've sold and uh, the biggest volume at the same time, that's for sure. There are five in total now being auctioned off from a 1976 Boeing 727 to these 1960s de Havilland's. These are trackers. Uh, converted to water bombers. All once part of the University of the Fraser Valley's aircraft structure technician program. 
The programming ended in 2019, so this is equipment that uh, we don't necessarily need anymore. So we're in the cockpit right here. And the project that started back in January was meant to make room for new and existing areas of study, which meant removing several decades worth of aviation-related equipment, much of it now sold or donated to other institutions. The market for what's left here, well, the sky's the limit. There's always a seller and there's always a buyer. We just have to find the right buyer to pay the price that we want and that's acceptable to their budget and then we can uh, move the product. The idea is not to make a profit, instead close the project out without spending any money, which means if the highest bid is say only $25, sold. The catch, the planes can't fly anymore and the buyer will have to pay to move it. I wouldn't want to see it go for scrap, I want to see it you know, go to somebody who's an end user, uh, who's going to turn it into something interesting for the world to see. And it wouldn't be a first. This 1965 Boeing 727 airframe was transformed into a two-bedroom hotel, now situated in the Costa Rican jungle. Yeah, you could fit a kitchen, a few bedrooms. The possibilities are endless. There's all kinds of things you could do with that. You could create sheds if you wanted. You could create a lawn ornament. So there's a lot of opportunity here. But the clock is ticking. The auction, now live, will close on August 31st. Only 22 days until the planes are going, going, gone. Kylie Stanton, Global News. <laughs> well, finding a house in Vancouver is not an easy thing, so there you go. There's a plane. And if you don't like new your neighborhood, option. you can just fly to a new one. Exactly. Good point. Good point. Good point. All right, Christy, final word? Yeah, so I thought I would show you this photo because the Kermode mama bear, as you can see, and her two little cubs, so cute. So uh, Kelly Marsh always gets great shots. Thanks so much. Uh, there's your shot, everyone. You can see the cubs. Beautiful. Thank you very much, and thank you for watching tonight. Good night, all.